The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So with everything that's been happening in our country in the last few weeks, particularly around anger and hatred, that's the topic that I thought I would explore. Um, what does the Buddha, what does the Buddha's teachings have to say to us about working with anger and hatred? What does it have to say to us about how to, how to, how to connect, how to explore both internally in our own system and externally. And so I wanted to explore that um, a little bit. As I was thinking about this um, this morning, I woke up thinking about it, and so just kind of, as I was, before I got out of bed, I was just letting my mind kind of wander. And that wandering is what created the structure for this talk, that, that little wander. And there's a lot, as, as I went through that, there's a lot that I'm not touching on. So this is just one kind of, path through some of the teachings that the Buddha offers on anger and hatred. One of the um, most famous quotes that the Buddha teaches, that is taught in the Buddha's teachings, is hatred never ceases through hatred. Through non-hatred alone does it end. This is an ancient law. And so what does that mean? Um, Does it mean that we shouldn't feel hatred? Does it mean that we shouldn't, that we should try to suppress it, replace it with love? I don't think that's what this means. Sometimes actually this is translated Hatred never ceases through hatred. Through love alone does it end. This is eternal law. Um, But the actual word is the negation of the word for hatred. So it's, it's the absence of hatred is the word that's used there in the Pali. And so I like that translation through non hatred does hatred cease. Because for me, that quality, at least in my own exploration of anger and hatred in my own heart, I've seen it's a little bit easier to contemplate not hating something than it is to contemplate loving it. So I offer that as, as a reflection on this, on this teaching. So non-hatred, through non-hatred. So I'd like to explore a little bit about, first, I want to explore both external, uh, internally and externally, how to work with anger. And, you know, the external side of things is really a lot of what's up right now, just looking out in the world, anger. We see anger and hatred in so many places. And how do we respond to that? And how do, how do we hold that in our hearts? But also I want to talk first about when anger or hatred arises in our own hearts, what, what, does, what are some of the ways that we can work with that? And then some of those understandings, I think, 
we can apply, we can look at how those might apply externally. So when anger or hatred arises in our experience, what does it mean to work with it? What does it mean to, with, if we look at that quote, hatred never ends through hatred, through non-hatred does it end. What might it mean to have non-hatred towards hatred in our own hearts? And to me this gets to right the, the kind of crux of what our practice is about. Not, it's not about pushing anything away, even hatred. It's not about pushing it away and saying it's wrong or it's bad or it's, it shouldn't be here. But it is about acknowledging it, recognizing it. That, so through non-hatred, what, what meeting hatred with non-hatred to me, hang on, oh, am I not on? No. Okay, now I'm on, sorry. <laughs> We've been getting it on the other one. <laughs> So, um, so through what, what it means to me to meet hatred that arises in our own hearts with non-hatred is that, that flavor of allowing that I was talking about in the guided meditation, of opening to, of allowing what's here to be here. That this is, this is a radically different approach for us around working with anger. A radically different approach. Typically, what our usual response with anger as it arises in our hearts is, is one of two things, probably, uh, in the terrain of either kind of buying into it, indulging it, acting on it, kind of following the anger, believing the anger. There's a way in which when, we, um, when anger happens in our hearts, there's, there's, there's like... There's views, there's beliefs underneath. That person shouldn't have done that. This is wrong. This, this is unjust. And so there's, there's, there's things going on there that kind of, we, we believe those thoughts. We believe that, those, um, those views. And because of that, we, we think that acting on the anger is the way towards happiness, the way towards solving a problem, the way towards getting rid of the situation. You know, the, the, the anger is kind of by nature, it, it wants to separate us from things. It wants to either have us separate from something or for us to separate, you know, to, to, to push something away, to either take ourselves out of the situation or to push something away. That's kind of the nature of anger and hatred. It wants to separate. It may separate by obliteration. It may separate by fleeing. But this, um, you know, this, this acting out on that, what that does is essentially it reinforces that pattern, that belief that the way to deal with the situation is to be angry and act on anger. And so it just reinforces that anger, it reinforces that hatred to indulge in it, to act on it. And so that's one side, that's one thing that we often will do with hatred and anger is that we'll act on it, we'll follow it, we'll believe it, we'll think that, we, that 
So the story with anger is you need to do something to separate. Either destroy, obliterate, push away, flee. You need to do something in order for yourself to be okay. That's the story that anger is telling us. And when we buy into that story, we follow that. We follow that. We believe that. We, we follow through on acting on that anger. The other side that we often may do is repress. And this, this, um, this happens because we're taught we're not supposed to be a good person, shouldn't be angry, or I shouldn't feel angry about things. And this can happen um, in in Buddhist, um, you know, learning about Buddhism, learning this, this line, hatred never ceases through hatred, through non-hatred alone does it end. We may think we shouldn't feel anger. And so we may repress it, push it down, say, oh no, I don't feel anger. Or I shouldn't feel anger, I should keep it at bay. We may have that sense of somehow feeling a need to keep it at bay, feeling like that's what we're supposed to do with anger. To not, in order to not act on it, or to not follow it, we think we have to repress it. And so this, this, is, this is the kind of story that our mind has told us about anger. It's either follow it or repress it. And that, those are the only two options that, that we might fathom. And certainly for myself, those were the only two options that I fathomed were possible with anger until I met this practice. So there's a middle way. <laughs> The Buddha talked about his teaching as a middle way for good reason, I think, because it points to a very fine line between these two. What does it mean to not repress anger and to not act on it? To fully allow the feeling of anger to be there, to, to be curious about this experience of anger, to allow it to express itself as a feeling, because it's here, it is doing that. It is, when anger comes up in our, in our experience, in our system, in our organism, it's already here. And so to, to say it's not here is to deny a truth. And yet, you know, to, to kind of pick up the, the story of anger that says the only way is either to repress or act on this, is, is to be fooled, is to be deluded by that story of anger. And so this, uh, this possibility of opening to this is the experience of anger. So this is the middle way. The di- there's a huge difference between acting on following anger and hatred, between suppressing it, and between this middle way of Allowing, experiencing, opening to, but not buying into, not following through, not acting on it. So the the exploration there, this is mindfulness. This is the practice of mindfulness with this very challenging state of anger or hatred. What does it mean to be mindful of something like anger. It, to me, one of the simplest ways that we can connect or recognize that we are being mindful of a difficult reactive emotion 
is to know, is, is if we can tell ourselves or say to ourselves, this is what it's like to be a human being that's experiencing anger. That's, that's, that's that middle way where we are, um, we have the capacity or we are connecting to our capacity to hold the anger without repressing or expressing. We can, we can explore the experience of anger in our body. How does it feel to be a human being? What does the body feel like when anger is arising? These, this is one of the main tools for us in exploring anger internally, is to notice how does it feel in the body. Partly because the cycle of anger is so reinforced by thinking, by our beliefs, our ideas, our views, and the stories that we tell, the narrative that we tell. You shouldn't have done that. You've done me wrong. You, the um, the uh, Dhammapada quote that I read is preceded by two, two poems or two um, verses. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. And so this, this story of, I've been done wrong, they done me wrong, that story, as that is repeated in our minds, that reinforces the hatred. It reinforces the anger. And so if we can come into the present moment by noticing, oh, this is what it feels like in the body. This is, this is the experience of anger in the body. That helps to, to kind of cut the, the cycle or loop of thoughts, which is like the fuel on the fire of the anger. It's like we have our foot on the gas pedal of anger when we are um, telling ourselves the story. They shouldn't have done that. I'm going to do this to make sure they never do that to me again. That's, that's keeping the cycle of anger going. And so if we can come into the physicality of it and know, okay, when there's anger, there's pressure, there's heat, there's tension, the throat constricts, the, the, the heart races. If we can know that, then we, are, we have a chance to not be caught by the stories, by the narrative of the anger, of the hatred. As we do that, we start to understand it in a different way. We start to understand this experience of anger as a human experience, not so much just not as something that's that's you know about me so much, but just anybody in this situation would have this kind of feeling, and so it 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 makes the kind of an understanding of the conditioned nature of the experience of anger. When we are in a situation that, I mean, it, it, it varies, of course. Not everybody will get angry in every situation, but, I mean, there's a lot of anger out there right now, and it's very, in some ways, it's so understandable on both sides how the anger is happening. And so there's... There's, you know, there's, there's just that understanding of, oh, this is how human beings work. Almost the heartbreak of, this is how human beings work. When somebody does something like that or says something like that, their anger arises. And so we begin to understand something about how anger works, the conditioned nature 
of these reactive emotions. We may also start to understand something of the views, the beliefs, the ideas that underlie the anger. And then, so, so that's, that's some of what we understand by meeting with mindfulness, the difficult state of anger or hatred. But when, one thing that we begin to deeply understand or recognize is that anger that's happening right now in this body, in this heart, in this mind, it hurts. Anger hurts right here, right now. When anger is coming up for you in this moment, you are suffering. Now, if the mind is in the story of they done me wrong, this is what I'm going to do to get back at them, you may not be aware that you are suffering directly in this moment. At some level we know we're suffering. But the, the actual direct knowledge, this is suffering, this hurts, that, that comes with the mindfulness. And that is a um, hugely important understanding. Because as we see, as we recognize with this mindfulness, this mindful attention, that anger hurts, that hatred hurts, it's like our system our organism is getting different information. It's getting new information. When we were caught in the thoughts about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get back at this person, they're going to be really sorry they did this to me, we are more caught by the thought that that person did something to me than than recognizing the suffering that's being created here and now by our own minds. And so we are, we are not aware, necessarily, of the suffering that's happening here and now, of the suffering of the anger. But as we become aware of that, it's like our system begins to recognize that, suff- that anger, that hatred is suffering. And because our organism is actually designed, our organism is designed to want to move towards happiness, towards well-being towards non-suffering. And it's just been so confused. Mm -hmm. Our organism has been so confused. And it believes, it actually has believed that following through on those stories is the way to well-being. At some level, we believe that following through on anger is actually conducive to well-being. Our minds have been so confused and and kind of caught up in that delusion that anger has been telling us that we are unaware of the suffering that the anger is creating right now. And so as we notice right now, with mindfulness, this pain of, of anger, this pain of hatred, our system is kind of like, oh my gosh, I remember, I remember when this happened to me. When I, in my early um, days of practice, I was, anger was actually my very first meditation object, practicing with it in daily life mostly. Um, and I was really angry with somebody who, I was in the Peace Corps, so this person that I was really angry with was 7,000 miles away. And yet I was, you know, I was just churning about 
this. And at some point, partly because I was so far away, I recognized that there was a belief in my mind that this anger was going to make the other person miserable. And it was so clear to me in that moment that that was so ludicrous because that person was 7,000 miles away. They didn't even know I was angry. There's no way that that anger was making them miserable. But it was making me miserable. And when I recognized that, it's like, oh my gosh. This idea that somehow this anger at this person is going to make me feel better because it makes them feel worse, this is just a lie that my mind is telling me. And it hurts now. There's a story in the teachings, I think it might be in the commentaries, I wasn't able to find it today as I looked through some various teachings, about anger being like picking up a hot coal to throw at somebody with the idea that you're going to burn them when you throw it at them. But you burn yourself first. This is the way anger works. And when we recognize it with mindfulness, we feel that burn. We feel that pain. And because our system wants to move towards well-being, feeling that pain, it begins in, in kind of different ways to let go of that anger. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that we would not act on injustice. So this is another big misunderstanding that often comes when, when, with that, that teaching. Hatred never ceases through hatred. Through non-hatred alone does it end. People think it means not acting out of anger or hatred. And partly because anger, hatred, greed, <laughs> aversion, confusion has been our motivation for action. We can't really fathom motivations besides those. When we're caught by anger, anger is not going to tell us there's another different kind of motivation that you can connect with for action, a responsiveness rather than a reactiveness and a hatred. And so there is this, uh, this exploration of noticing the anger and the letting go of the anger, the releasing of that anger, doesn't necessarily mean that we would not act. It may mean that we would act but from a different place, from a place of compassion for suffering. Compassion for suffering, for suffering that's happening to us or compassion for suffering that's happening to another. And so compassion, when we meet suffering with a heart that is open, when, when we actually connect with the suffering of that anger, or, as we'll talk about in a moment, we connect with the suffering, when we actually can connect with the suffering of another person. And anger is suffering. If we can connect with that understanding of this is suffering that's happening, compassion is a natural response to that. And compassion is an emotion of action. It's not an emotion of passivity. And so we can act from compassion. So that kind of segues me into the externally piece a little bit. So that's just a little brief piece about looking at working with anger internally. But what it really, what I really think, the piece I really want to point to is that 
I said it in the guided meditation that mindfulness is about opening to the entirety of our human experience, no part left out. And that includes anger. When anger is arising, aware, oh, this is, the, this is anger. This is, this is the pain of anger. That is a completely different relationship to anger than we have habitually had. And it's a transformative relationship to anger because, as I, as I pointed to, our system begins to kind of, because it understands it as suffering and because our system wants to move to well-being, our system begins to understand how to let go of the pieces that are contracted and resistant and pushing away and the hatred. Our system begins to understand how to let that go. That, the, essentially, hatred and anger are a contraction, a clenching of the heart. And so the, the transformation that happens around anger is that the clenching releases and then the heart can meet the pain that's there whether it's internal pain or external pain. And the heart meeting that pain is a heart that, that can respond out of compassion. And so again, in terms of externally responding to anger, I want to restate not acting out of anger or, or exploring this teaching of Hatred never ceases through hatred, through non-hatred alone does it end. It doesn't mean not responding to injustice. Now, there's a couple stories from the Buddha I'll just very briefly tell. Um, of how he responded with situations where there was anger in the world. One of those um, is there, there was a mass murderer at the time of the Buddha who was, um, um, you know, marauding the, the, the neighborhood, basically. And he killed 999 people. And um, it is said that he was just filled with anger and that that's how he kind of whipped himself up to kill the next person. This, it was, it's a kind of, there's an interesting backstory to this um, and I did, I did give a couple of talks on this particular uh, story. And so if you're interested in this story, there's two talks I gave about a year ago on this topic. Um, and Angulimala was basically told by a teacher that he needed to kill a thousand people and bring his teacher the little fingers of those thousand people and that that is what would allow his training to come to, to fruition. This was, this was not a Buddhist teacher. <laughs> um, and at first, um, the, the person who became Angulimala, his name originally was Ahimsa, which meant harmless one, he said, I can't do that. My whole family has always been harmless. I just can't do that. And his teacher said, well, then your training won't come to fruition. And so he 
you know, he said, oh, okay, I guess I'll do this. And, you know, so he, he transformed himself into a hating being, basically. So this is, this is a piece of this story that originally his mind was, or his, his inclination was to non-harming, although it is said that he had a tendency towards this or his teacher wouldn't have been able to tap into it. Um, but um, in, the, in the act of killing people, the act of repeatedly killing people hardened his heart and made his heart become a hating heart. And so this is a way in which the teaching is pointing to how following through on that action just makes it stronger and stronger and stronger. And so um, the Buddha heard about this. And basically, he also, he also heard that, that the king was going out to find Angulimala and kill him. So, you know, this, this is just like the, he's marauding the, the whole area and terrifying villages and terrifying people. They're not able to walk around. He's even going into villages and killing people in their beds at night. And so the king is saying, I've got to go kill this guy. And the Buddha both hears about that and also recognizes that Angulimala is about ready to kill his thousandth victim and that that is going to be his mother. That he, he, through his, it is said, through his magical powers of seeing, he recognized that uh, his mother, uh, Angulimala's mother, was going to try to stop Angulimala because the king was getting ready to come and find him and kill him. And... um, the Buddha realized that Angulimala would just kill his mother. He was so wrapped up in this hatred. And in the uh, tradition of the, of the Buddhist understanding, killing a parent is um, something that will make... It's essential. It, it is possible to be redeemed from that, but not for a very, very long time. <laughs> And so, um, you know, there's the sense of that that person, that the person, if you kill a parent, you are going to hell. You will, you will, you will go to uh, a place where it's very hard to come back from. Um, and so the, um, the Buddha decided to intervene. He decided to put himself in harm's way to stop Angulimala. And he did that. He did it through teaching through, um, also apparently through some kind of, it's said that there was a kind of a magical uh, event because Angulimala was chasing after the Buddha as fast as he could. And the Buddha was just walking very slowly. And Angulimala couldn't catch up to him. And he's got very confused. And Angulimala stopped and, and yelled at the Buddha, Stop, recluse, stop! And the, and the Buddha kept on walking very slowly and said, I have stopped, Angulimala. You need to stop now. And that kind of jarred Angulimala's mind because he said, he's walking. He hasn't stopped. I'm not, I'm not walking. I have stopped. What does he mean? What is he talking about? And he said, what, what are you saying? And that allowed the Buddha to give him a teaching, which went in. And he, he realized he had been deluded, confused. So this is an amazing story, actually. It is said to, to be, there, said that there was this person who was killing people. And he basically ordained and became a monk with the Buddha. Um, 
But the piece that I want to point to here, the key piece I want to point to, is that the Buddha recognized that hatred, that, that in this case, Angulimala's hatred needed some action. And he put himself in harm's way to stop Angulimala. So he, he, he recognized this being is being motivated by hatred and anger, and he, he can be stopped, and I can do that. And so he, he took that possibility. And so he essentially, he's like an activist, going out to stand against that kind of hatred and anger. So that's one story of the Buddha taking action in the face of hatred. Another is um, a little different kind of unfolding, and this is another famous story of uh, a a bunch of um, monks, Buddhists, the monks of the Buddha, who were living together, um, and they they quarreled at one point. There was this dissension about a rule of of the the how the monks lived together, and it's kind of interesting. Actually, I'll just give this part because it's an interesting piece of the story to think that this whole big mess could unfold out of such a small thing. So the um, there was one monk who um, who went to the latrine and uh, left a bowl of water in the latrine that was unused, so, you know, for washing. So after you use the latrine, you wash your hands, and, and there was some water left, in, unused water left in the bowl, and he, he left it in the bowl, unaware that there was a rule that's saying you should dump all the water from the bowl. And so somebody else came along and said, Hey, did you know, you know, you, you committed an offense? Did you know you com- committed an offense? And he said, no, what offense did I commit? I will own up to it. And the other person said, well, you left some, you left some um, water in the bowl in the latrine. And he said, oh, I was unaware of that. I'm, I will confess to it. And the other monk said, well, since you didn't know it was an offense, then it's not an offense. And you'd think it would, fall, it would end there. But... The, 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 there were, they, apparently there was a kind of a little, I don't know, personality conflict between these two or something, because the, the monk who said, oh, it's not an offense, it's not a problem, went back to a bunch of his monks and said, oh, by the way, that monk there, he's committed an offense and he doesn't think it's an offense. And then uh, those followers went to um, the followers of the monk who didn't empty the bowl of water out and said, did you know that your leader committed this offense and didn't acknowledge it? And so they started this war. This war between these two factions started. And they, um, they couldn't resolve it. And the Buddha found out about this and said, you know, he went to both of the factions and, and gave them a teaching about, okay, you know, if you have committed an offense and, are, and didn't think it was an offense... For the sake of the Sangha and calmness in the Sangha, you should just acknowledge that it was an offense. And on the other side, he said, if somebody has committed an offense and they don't realize it's an offense, you should see if they, they are um, willing to be instructed about it, not kick them out of the Sangha over that. And so the Buddha tried to instruct them. They kept quarreling. <laughs> and uh, then the Buddha went to them and said, enough, this is enough. This is, this is um, this kind of um, 
quarreling is going to create a schism in the Sangha. And if you value the Sangha, you should not be doing this. And he asked them three times. He, he tried to get them to stop this quarrel three times. And they basically said, mind your own business. This is our, <laughs> this is our business. And so he said, you know, I guess these monks don't, these monks cannot see. And so he left. He, he left that community. He, he walked out of that community and wandered by himself to visit other communities of monks that were in India at the time following his teachings. And that, so that was a, a situation where he tried multiple times, but the, the anger in that, those two parties was so intense that even the Buddha couldn't intervene. And so his action at that point was to remove himself. That is an action. It is an action. And it had consequences. Because, um, but it's, it's a different kind of action. And some, some people that I know have said, you know, he gave up. You know, that's, you know, it's, he shouldn't have given up. He should have kept trying. But what happened following the Buddha leaving was that the lay people in the area uh, said, the Buddha left. <laughs> the Buddha went away. The monks are quarreling and the Buddha left. We aren't getting to hear the Buddha teach anymore. We should not support these monks. <laughs> Let's not give these monks alms food anymore. <laughs> that had an impact <laughs> on those monks. <laughs> and after a fairly short time, they said, we should go to the Buddha so we can resolve this dispute. <laughs> and they did. They, went, they, they traveled to where the Buddha was and... Um, they resolved the dispute. So, so again, there's just the different ways of, of engaging. Sometimes it means, you know, direct intervention. Sometimes it might mean stepping back. But in both cases here, the Buddha took action. And so I just wanted to point that out because it is not, it's not that he just sat there and said, oh, quarreling monks. Anger is known quarreling monks are known. He didn't just sit there saying that. He took action. And so when, when our hearts see, when we see anger, when we see hatred happening in the world, we may want to take action. And yet, I think what's important is to, um, to recognize that acting out of anger you know, we see, we see, I think, when we are angry and we, if we, if we are angry, angry when there's a situation of anger externally, if we come up to that situation with anger, it seems to solidify that, the, the positions of each person. And it reinforces the anger. Let's see if I have a, some, some poems about this. Well, that's not there. Well, never mind. <laughs> um, but we know that, I think, that when, when we come at someone with anger, they often come back with more anger. It's just that's, that's the nature of anger. 
Anger fuels more anger. So, what might it mean? This is this is my this is a question that I I'm curious about. What might it mean to act? not with anger. How might that look? A couple of quotes from some more contemporary people who followed a nonviolent approach to anger and hatred. Gandhi, in particular. Um, I, I love his... Um, Approach of I mean three three words that kind of evoke his way, non-passive, non-violent, non-cooperation. Non-passive, non-violent, non-cooperation. So non-cooperation isn't about passivity, and it doesn't have to be about violence. And so this is kind of a middle way again. And Martin Luther King. Um, embodying that, expressing that in his own words. And I think he was inspired by Gandhi. Martin Luther King was inspired by Gandhi. So this is from his Christmas sermon in 1967. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. That's the real understanding of hatred as suffering. Somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do with us what you will and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system. Because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So that's, that's a very active form of non-violent, non-violent non-cooperation. Non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. And so... Again, what does it mean? What, what might this mean? You know, so it's non-cooperation with the system. And yet, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, this is just something I'm beginning to explore myself. You know, what might it look like to explore allowing in, a, in if, if, there's, if, we, if we look at the, the work that we do internally as a model, what might be possible externally? What might it mean to hold an anger externally with um, a mindfulness externally? What might it mean for a group of people to hold anger? Recognizing it, again, you know, so, so the, 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 one of the keys in in internally exploring anger is that we recognize this is the human experience of anger. Not 
not looking so much at the narrative, not looking at whether it's true or false, whether the beliefs underlying anger are true or false is not really important. If the beliefs are true, if there's injustice, then action to uh, counter that injustice out of compassion is a possibility. But the anger drags us down. And so this is, this is what I'm curious about. What might it look like to, to hold a community, to hold anger with a, a kind of a presence, a recognition of the suffering of that anger? Of, of the of the suffering again the human the human the human experience that when hatred is happening externally that means there is suffering happening you don't have to to necessarily look at i mean i'd say the the first thing is to 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 understand the human the human experience of anger and that there is suffering there if if you're going at if we're going at that exploration of anger to try to um, convince them to hold different views, I think we're going to just end up in that, that fight again. You know, there's, there's actually been some research done that if people who have very strong opinions have a conversation in which they each express their own opinions, that the, and they're differing opinions, that those, that those people get further and further apart. But if instead there's a conversation that happens where each person asks, what's your view? What's your view? You ask about the other person's view, then the, the, the views move closer together. And so to, to first acknowledge the humanity of it, what, what might that mean? To, to, not meet, to not meet hatred with hatred, but to meet it with compassion, with understanding, not of understanding of, well, you know, not, not necessarily an understanding that all views are fine. That's not what this, that's not what this is pointing to. But, but again, you know, when we work internally, the first thing we need to do is understand that it is suffering. And so that's a piece that I think is important externally, is that we also understand that wherever anger and hatred are happening, that it's suffering. And then to begin, perhaps through holding it with compassion, to maybe begin to have that conversation, to begin to explore what are those beliefs? What are the beliefs here? What are the beliefs there? This brings me back to another, another tool internally that I find very powerful in working with any kind of suffering in our own experience, in my own, um, um, my own experience of, of self-hatred. You know, there's... There's, that's hatred directed towards myself. There's lots of views, lots of beliefs under there. And when I've been working with people to explore self-hatred, a lot of times people will say that, you know, I just see these thoughts. You're a failure. You're no good. 
you're a horrible person. That, that, and they're believed. I believe these thoughts. And so there's, there's a, a way to explore beliefs in our internal life where we re- begin to recognize, oh, this is the belief that's happening. Not trying to convince ourselves to not believe it. So with self-hatred, for instance, very, very familiar thoughts in my mind. You're a failure. You're no good. You're, you're bad. You're wrong. Um, and when I, when I can recognize, oh, that's a belief. Not saying, oh, I'm really a good person. But just acknowledging this is the belief that's happening right now. That, again, this is a kind of a middle way. Because when that belief is really strongly believed, trying to tell yourself to not believe it is probably not going to have much traction. But recognizing, oh, that's a belief, that might have some traction. You're a failure. That's what's being believed right now. That's very different than you're a failure. That is absolutely true. It's, it's a different, it's, it's, it's like a crack in the door around that belief that helps you to understand it, not as truth, but as, oh, this is a belief. Because as, as we begin to understand something as belief, there's a, there's a little bit of possibility for the mind to begin to weigh other alternatives, other options. And so that I've seen very much internally happening. That when I acknowledge, oh, this is a belief, that there's room, there's a little bit of room for something different to happen. And so applying that externally, that might be something interesting to look at. What might it mean to say, these are my beliefs. What are your beliefs? What might that, this, this is my perspective. I hear this is your perspective. I see this is where we're differing in perspective. That kind of language points to what's happening underneath the anger as belief, as view, and may give just a little bit of room, a little bit of space for something different to happen. I've experienced this in my own conversations with people when, when there's been really radically different beliefs going on. And actually, I saw the other person start to use that same language. Oh, this is my perspective. This is what I believe. And so that, that created much less tension in the conversation. So these are some thoughts about anger, hatred, working with it internally, externally. And I see it's like one minute of nine, so we don't really have time for conversation about this, unfortunately. Um, But this is definitely not the entirety of what the Buddha had to say about, about anger and hatred. But I hope this is useful. May it be of use. Thank you. And I'm happy to stay and talk for a little while if anybody has anything they'd like to to talk about.